Hello and welcome to the second piece of the Monday, January 25th edition of Grant Slants. This is the second half of the show, or the other half of the show, where I dive into all things Michigan, all things just general sports as a whole. Just kind of more of my blow off some steam with my thoughts on sports. And with that being said, let's get right into it. First things first, um, the news broke recently last weekend that Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions have mutually agreed to part ways. Now, after seeing Matthew Stafford's wife, even Stafford's Stafford himself post or comment on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook that they love the city, they never want to leave, it initially came as a shock. And rightfully so. I mean, he's been here for longer than I've lived in the state of Michigan. So he's even more of a resident than I am. And to finally agree to part ways. I'm glad it was an agreement. I'm glad it, they didn't send him or tell him that he's going to be traded and he fought it kicking and screaming. I'm glad they both kind of realize his career is definitely... definitely closer to the end than he is to the beginning as unfortunate as that may be and all parties involved want to see him get a ring somewhere whether it be Pittsburgh, San Francisco Houston, Miami I mean there's countless places he might end up I mean Indianapolis just to add to that which should be his top landing spot that being said I'm even as a little bit of an outsider to the Lions organization, I'm amazed what Stafford put his body through day in, day out for a team that <laughs> gave him nothing in return. I mean, some years it was a terrible defense, terrible run game, terrible pass blocking. If there was a way for the Detroit Lions to sabotage Matthew Stafford's attempts to win this team a playoff game, silence that narrative, the only person, the only part of this anyone can blame is everyone else on the Lions. He had all the right pieces. He was, he was just trying to build the wrong puzzle. And now I think with the last couple years or few years or last five, whatever, however much longer he has in the tank, it'll be really exciting to see him go somewhere else and attempt to do what he's been trying to do in Detroit for over a decade. And... Moving off on that, there's a couple places I'd like to see him. I would, number one, overall, love to see him in Pittsburgh. Because you know Mike Tomlin does not run the ball. Ben Roethlisberger averages around 40 attempts a game. I would love to see Stafford throw the ball 40 times a game and be congratulated for doing so. Next, I'm probably going to put him in Indy. Indy obviously just lost their second quarterback in, I think, just as many years. I mean, even third quarterback in just as many years. Because they went luck to Brissett to Rivers. And they're all just kind of 
dissipating and they have an incredible defense and honestly we're just one piece away quarterback the Colts need a quarterback Matthew Stafford is the quarterback he's already looked good in a shade of blue now he just gets a little darker with the Colts blue and honestly there's not really many downsides to being in Stafford's situation right now he essentially gets to choose where he goes as the Lions have mutually agreed to part ways, which I think you give him the hometown hero benefit of not just shipping him to the highest bidder. They want him to win. And rightfully so. He deserves to win somewhere. If it couldn't be Detroit, I hope it's somewhere else. And that was kind of the narrative of the news, was this hurts, but I'm glad it went that way, as opposed to him just kind of suffering here. For the last couple years of his career which would probably be cut short a couple years due to the inevitable injury or early departure like so many lions greats have before and that's what sets stafford apart from calvin johnson and barry sanders and i'm not saying this is necessarily the best character thing i'm not saying it's bad by any means though barry sanders and calvin johnson quit when they knew they couldn't really win anything. They weren't going to win the, in the playoffs. They weren't going to make it to the Super Bowl. And they kind of said, hey, you know what? Instead of grinding it out till I can't anymore, I might as well just leave on top or relatively on top as a 10-time Pro Bowler for Barry Sanders. And, I mean, at the time, one of the top three wide receivers in the league for Calvin Johnson. Stafford continues fighting. He, he could have called it. I mean... You look back and see what he's gone through, what he's fought through day in and day out, and I would have quit. I'm not saying I would have gone to a new team. I don't know if I want to put my body through that. And wherever he goes, I pray they just have a good offensive line. Or I pray that the offensive line performs well with him. Because that's all he needs to do his job on offense is a good O-line. He can find any wide receiver. You name it. Stafford will throw a great pass to anyone putting on the same jersey that he has on and it's just a bummer it it really is just a bummer that he couldn't do anything here with the lions i mean he got to the playoffs a few times didn't really win anything but getting the getting the lions to the playoffs is something that without stafford i don't think you sniff i don't care who your coach is I don't think you come close to even contending for a playoff spot without Stafford. And it's been weird to see other people hate Stafford the way Raiders fans hate Carr. Because Stafford has put in twice the amount, twice the years, I mean, exponentially more injuries than Carr. I mean, Carr's had a, the finger, the groin, and... The leg is, is, I mean, he's had the finger a couple times in the back. And Stafford's list just keeps going. I mean, you go back to that rookie year throwing with a dislocated shoulder. If you need me to throw the ball, I'll throw the ball. Who does that? For, for a game. For football. Who does that? Matthew Stafford. Whoever gets him is going to be incredibly blessed and... I would assume is going to see an uptick in wins and success in general. 
it seems like this pipe dream that Stafford hosts the Lombardi. But now that he's been kind of cut free, that becomes all so much more possible. And knowing that and seeing that, knowing that he still has it, like he's not going, he's not like he's going to a new team like Philip Rivers who can barely throw the ball. <laughs> Stafford still got it. Like he still has that, maybe not the full prime Matthew Stafford, but he's got inklings. He's got little like residues of that still available and even more than residue. I mean, he's still got it. And I find it hard to believe that just about every team in the NFL doesn't at least dip their toe in the water. And that's all I really had for Stafford. So we're going to move on to something I'm a little less excited to talk about, which is the Detroit Pistons. But less excited is a relative term. Considering they're the worst team in the NBA record-wise right now, I couldn't be happier. That is exactly where I wanted them. The problem within is the way the Pistons are losing games. Yeah, it's close and it's fun. But I think we're past the point of getting anything for Blake Griffin. I mean, the man hasn't dunked this year. Which, I mean, if you're in the NBA and you can dunk, I feel like you find an opportunity to dunk. And dunking isn't remotely part of the game like it is. But you know what I mean? It's not... If if you can win games without dunking once in a game, you can make every dunk turn into a layup, and you'll still score two points. That just says Blake Griffin's youth, his prime, his agility has completely left him. And you can see, he is a shell of what he used to be, and I think even trying to get a second-round pick is just kind of hurting the development of our young guys more than it would actually be worth the pick. I mean, what the Pistons have going right now is so great because it's just a bunch of young guys or like high-end first-round picks that just didn't pan out at the time. And the Pistons are giving everyone a chance. And I love that. I love to see two, what, two top five picks on one team. And obviously they didn't work out and they're still not entirely great here. But you look at um, Josh Jackson and Julio Okafor, both very highly sought after players when they came out of college, now on the Pistons. Now looking good on the Pistons. Which, I mean, well, at least Josh Jackson looking good on the Pistons. Julio Okafor is kind of losing the battle of minute share which also brings me back to where I was kind of headed initially of I get that you have to play veterans to make them appear good so they can be traded like Blake Griffin like Derrick Rose hopefully traded to a contender that just needs a power forward or needs a backup point guard going towards the playoffs this season but now I feel like every time Blake Griffin plays it's the complete opposite it is he's just hurting 
him hurting his draft stock, hurting the team, just hurting in general, probably. And it, it's painful. It's hard to watch. You know that, I mean, I'm sure his goal was to come to Detroit, make a name for himself, or at least continue making a name for himself, and then get traded to a contender. Just like that. It is backfiring. It is Jimmy Howard of last year with the Red Wings, which we'll get into in a second, times two. I mean, Jimmy Howard was believed to be exchangeable for a third round pick going into the draft or going into the season last year. Everyone thought, okay, maybe he has a couple gems here and there. Maybe like, I'm not saying Jimmy Howard shuffed people out anymore, but maybe a one goal game or, or like something like good positive things to build on. And then they could maybe buff that to a second round pick and some cap consideration or something. And it went in the complete opposite direction, complete opposite. Jimmy Howard essentially was laughed at for whatever stint of the season he was playing in and the wings really i mean the wings weren't going to win anyway it's not like they were goalie away but jimmy howard in essence made the team worse by being poorer than he had now that blake griffin and derrick rose are doing it it becomes a this is messing with chemistry for the future I know it's the first half of a season that we really have to worry about having these guys, but it is still affecting them. Whether or not they get traded just means they're not going to be, they're not a part of the future. I mean, Derrick Rose, maybe if the Pistons future is in two years, but I don't see him staying with the team. I don't see Blake Griffin staying with the team. And at this point, why not just get let the young guys run? I know that there's a reason to uphold Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose and get them minutes, but geez, it's backfiring. And it it's just, it's frustrating to see. Like you want to see these young guys come in and obviously it's a bummer when Killian goes out with what fortunately was not a career-ending injury, but could have been. Was apparently millimeters away from shattering something vital to a basketball player's hips and as we go on we see Blake Griffin getting more and more 20 minutes a night and one of the fan favorite young guys uh, Sekou Dumbuya getting less and less putting up like five minutes a night nine minutes not even enough to get rolling go to the gym play pickup and get beat 12 nothing just by some shooters that game's over in five minutes. You don't break a sweat doing that. Sure, you break a sweat in the NBA because it's a little different and all that, but you, you get the point. You can't get rolling in five minutes if you're not like starting. You can't get a feel for the game like a starter does, just coming in for five minutes. And then I hope Dwayne Casey sits down with him at the end of his five-minute debacles and says, okay, what'd you learn? How can you improve? You can't improve after five minutes. You can't even find out what you're bad at in five minutes. You can find out maybe, oh, I can't really dribble with my left hand or something, but you can't find the key to your game in five minutes. And so the quicker we get these veterans out of here, the better. Look, the Pistons aren't going to the playoffs this year. We knew that from the start. And we knew we wanted to trade Blake and Derrick Rose. The problem is we can do both of those things. Tank, 
and get rid of Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose, but that's not the direction the Pistons are heading right now. They're heading to being stuck with Blake Griffin or maybe picked up at almost a loss by a contender just to get his contract out of there. And maybe Derrick Rose finds a team that needs a backup point guard. But to be messing up with messing with chemistry and messing with guys minutes just to get two trade bait players moving and better and whatever it just seems wrong like why do you take chances on these young guys if you're not going to play them whatsoever or in five minutes which honestly i'd rather sit out i'd rather be a dnp a healthy scratch than play five minutes Especially if that five-minute block is separated, like I play two minutes one half, two minutes another. I would be incredibly frustrated. And then last year, as we all know, Dwayne Casey was asked and about Seku and was give and gave the response of, "Well, he just needs to have more fun. He needs to get more girls." Not even taking it seriously, like he's not a future competitor for at least minutes. You got to give guys their minutes when you're struggling. There's no general like, okay, we need Blake Griffin to get 40 minutes a night to win. We don't need to win. So when a coach says, oh, well, we got to find these guys minutes. There's no strategic game plan of let's win now. Let's win today. Hey, let's win. There's there's so much less pressure on winning that if you were to find Seku another 5, 10 minutes and take away from whoever it may be that's acceptable for a game and then you just mix it up hearing a coach come out and say oh well we've got to find this turn around look in your back pocket and tell me what you find oh yeah it's a card that says head coach you can make the calls you have control stop making it a we thing you could hypothetically just middle of the game. Hey, say you get in for Blake. Just like that. Boom. Hey, I found him minutes. I don't know how many minutes. I don't know why you would sub him out after five minutes. I don't care if you don't like what you're seeing. This isn't a team where you like what you're seeing a lot of the time. For the relative person that craves success in a basketball team, the Pistons do not fit the criteria. I mean, am I wrong there? We're... 3 and 12, 3 and 11, bottom of the league. I mean, where is the disconnect there of minutes? And I mean, it's just so annoying to hear those weak excuses. That's where I'm lost is it's not, oh, well, these guys are playing well together and Seiko hasn't really found that rhythm in practice. So we're kind of waiting on that if you will it's just oh we can't find him minutes and so as great as it is to watch the pistons tank it's coming in the most frustrating way i would like you want to see the young guys thrive and start to grow that's really what a losing season is about okay maybe you don't get one more second round pick for blake sure okay fine it's just getting to that point where you have to realize that Blake Griffin might be a sunk cost at this point. You might get something for Derek. You might get a late second rounder from a playoff contender. 
for Derrick Rose, which I almost expect at this point, but I don't see anyone taking on Blake's contract, and I don't really see the Pistons taking it on, despite not needing cap space immediately. For another, maybe if you can get it for, yeah, we'll pay it for a year and just get him off our books forever. But there's something, there's ways to do it. There's way to, ways to mix in Blake's minutes and everyone else's minutes. You can, I mean, run a version of small ball or put someone who's a four out of five. Just move something if you're that concerned about it. If you need to get Seiku minutes, that's how you do it. You don't just blink and boom, three more minutes are added to each quarter. That's not how it works. And again, this was never meant to be a great year. It's obviously going worse than expected with Killian's injury. But as long as the Pistons are sitting top three at the end of the day, top three lottery odds, of course, um, that's all you can really ask for. And I can point fingers all I want and say, this is how I would do it. But that's why I'm not coaching. And now moving on to just a little quick bit about the Wings. I like what they're doing. I mean, I like where they're at defensively and offensively. It obviously needs a ton of work, but even from those first couple games, it's been what you expect more from a struggling or rebuilding franchise. Congratulations to Dylan Larkin for finally getting the C after what felt like years since Zeddy, it's nice to finally find that leader again and be able to watch him grow and watch him lead. And obviously, free agent acquisition Bobby Ryan has been awesome for relative sense. The Wings are, are going to be in the same boat as the Pistons, and that's fine. That is truly fine. I don't... I don't know why people get up in arms when you say yes they're going to be bad. And that and be and being excited about a bad team is weird is lost on some people. Well, I get it. Some other people just want to see wins. Some people grew up and lived their entire lives not knowing the wings out of the NHL playoffs. And that was me up until that streak was ended, which still mind-boggling by the way how it just 25 years making the playoffs. I'm 24. So that tells you exactly what you need to know about how crazy that playoff streak is. Now that it's over, and it was over for a couple years coming, even when it was still going, if that makes sense. I mean, we knew that it, it was a squeak into the playoffs, lose round one, but keep the streak going. This rebuild has been coming, and now we're kind of back in the right spot, building with youth, building with veterans that aren't really not necessarily needed but not like not necessarily game changing and i i mean i like where the wings are i like where the pistons are both a couple years out unfortunately but that's what happens i mean that's sports it ebbs and flows it's not other than the patriots and whatever team lebron gets himself traded to every couple years there's no consistencies in playoffs or there's no consistencies over the long term of sure teams making the playoffs or teams being bad it's kind of just a wave the patriots like if we're going back to football the patriots used to be bad the lakers had that stretch in between kobe and lebron where they were 
bad. Even at the end of Kobe's career, it was bad. All these dynasties you see have off times. They still come back and they still run it back. And that's exactly what the Pistons and the Red Wings are going to do eventually. I don't know if anyone will sniff 25 straight seasons into the playoffs. But I think the Wings can get something going and at least stockpile five, six playoff appearances consecutively. The Pistons, on the other hand, are... Just to go back to the Pistons really quick, they seem to kind of be not necessarily missing something, but not having everything kind of ready for the come up. They have a bunch of young guys, and I'm sure there's some draft stars in their future. But as of right now, they don't really have that guy. I mean, Jeremiah Grant obviously could be an all-star, but as you can tell, scoring 20 points in 8, 9, 10 straight games doesn't translate to victories. So he's not really that guy, and I'm not saying that getting that guy turns into a victory immediately, but when you get a guy consistently putting up 20 points in the NBA, you should see more success than the Pistons have. And with Larkin, you kind of have that guy you can turn to, the captain, who you know can get you points. I mean, he's been on a tear recently. I mean, a relative tear. I believe he has three points in his last three games, which is great. I mean, that is that is the equivalent of like 25 points a game in the NBA. If you get a point in the NHL, especially on a down team, that is huge. And for Larkin to be consistently doing it and earning his C, I love it. I was a little hesitant. I thought that if the Wings didn't give anyone the cat or hadn't given anyone the captain by the day before or a week before the season started, I didn't think they were going to initially. And I was okay with that because while it meant that Dylan Larkin didn't have what it takes to be the captain, because I mean, who else was going to be the captain? Bertuzzi is too young and not really much of a standout yet. I mean, don't get me wrong, he could, but isn't really that guy. And so I just thought Dylan Larkin didn't have a captain's mindset, mentality, whatever you want to call it. He was missing something that they didn't like. And giving him the captain or giving him the C a day or two before the season starts feels weird. I don't know how, I mean, I would like to establish my captain as soon as possible. Like, as soon as I knew who I was going to give the C, I think I'd do it pretty quick. Or at least let them get used to it, like, let the team get used to it in practice, see how morale changes. Like, some people keep their heads down until they're uplifted. And then that head, when their head was down, they get uplifted and now they're looking down on you. I mean, that was prophetic if you will but anyway what if giving someone a captain making someone a captain makes them look down on everybody else or treat everybody differently what if they just flip a switch and Larkin hasn't done that he's been better than ever and he's in a great spot and giving someone the captain giving someone the C I can't say making someone the captain or giving someone the C separately I have to say both says we want you for the long haul And so long haul, it looks like Dylan Larkin will be wearing not only the winged wheel for a long time, but the C as well. 
and it's good to establish a captain now. You don't want to get out of your rebuild, start contending again, then be like, okay, now that we've seen success, you can be our captain. And if that's how it was going to happen, Larkin doesn't become a captain. Someone else does because Larkin's still young and he is the best player on our team. And that's all you can really put towards it that you can see really on the ice. Obviously, there's clips of practices and things like that that you can kind of be like, oh, that's why he's the captain. That's this. That all explains it. But when you build a captain from the bottom, you get to see a guy who has seen it all. Five goal losses. Yes, you've seen it. Come from behind wins, overtime wins, overtime losses, any type of adversity, Larkin will have seen it. And when the wings come back up, at least to middle of the pack, he's going to be the one of the most resilient players in the in the NHL. And it's exciting to see. It's exciting to kind of not daydream, if you will, but look down the road and see Larkin becoming, growing into that growing into that seat, growing into his captain role as not only a captain, but a player as well. And so even when it's bad, it doesn't feel dreadful. It doesn't, you know, the teams aren't, didn't wake up to the start of the season and said, let's get to the playoffs. Let's see what we can do. It's not the depressing 0-16 Browns. Both of these teams are frisky. They can beat a lot of teams if they just catch them on their not best night. It doesn't even have to be an off night, just that not their best. They can hang with anybody. Both teams have done it. I mean, the Wings are starting to pile up the multi-goal losses, but I mean, the Pistons are losing games by one, beating teams here and there. It's, it's exciting. It's not as exciting as knowing your team is probably going to win going into a game and kind of sitting on like a 10 and four record or something right now for either sport. But the wins are now exciting. It's like playing roulette or even blackjack. When You don't go to a casino and expect to win. You go to a casino and you're like, yep, here's my money limit. Here's what I am willing to lose today. But when those hit, even on cold streaks, even after just nothing even comes close on roulette, when that hits, you get that extra little burst of, oh yeah, that's what it takes to win. And that's the cool part about these teams now is there's excitement in winning. It's like, oh, that little uplifting feeling. It's like a shock to your system. Like, hey, we won a game. And now that they've established a obviously very flimsy, rough base of bottom of the league, both teams, it's kind of like, hey, now you're down eight. You have eight games to make up before you're at 500, at least for the Pistons. Hey, we can afford to win two or three now. I got into an argument with my roommate, who I will probably, who I will eventually have on here soon, um, that he was still rooting for the Pistons to win at the beginning of the season. At the time, it felt like I wanted to have a five, six, seven, eight game base of losses before we started winning, and he made the point that the Pistons are going to lose a lot of games this season. They could have started 5-0 and they wouldn't sniff 500 this year. 
it's just the way it is. And so looking back now, I realize, yeah, we could have won those early games. We could have won a few there or whatever. And you're never really rooting for them to lose because you kind of know that they, or you're never rooting. Yeah. You're never rooting for them to lose. You never really shouldn't be. You should cheer for the losses, but hope for the wins. That's what I've learned in being a part of two instantaneous or simultaneous rebuilds is you will get your losses. Your team's going to be bottom three. Oh, both teams, bottom three guaranteed. So they can win a few here and there. It's not football where you only get 16 games and two and 14 and three and 13 is the difference of like four picks. One more or one less point doesn't usually lock you any worse than you would be. And if the Wings are anything like last year, they were statistically horrible. No future outlook, just bad. We're on pace for one of the lowest point totals in season history, should the season have finished. That being said, this is going to be an exciting city in... I mean, that's the problem. Three, four... Three to four years, Detroit is going... Like, all of their teams could be firing on all cylinders. Dan Campbell for the Lions, who I will get to very soon, who I still have to talk about as this is my first podcast. He got a six-year deal. He could be here in four years with a thriving 11-5 and Lions team. The Tigers have done a vast majority of their spring cleaning, if you will, clearing up cap space, building an incredible farm system, building rotations after pitching rotation after pitching rotation, and just searching for some bats. And obviously the Pistons and the Wings are right there too, like in the middle of a rebuild. Yes, these are down years for Detroit. There's always been the Wings. There used to be the Pistons. The Lions are fun to watch on Sundays. And I mean, the Tigers, I mean, the Tigers used to be there too. Michigan is so, or Detroit is so close to just that next step of being that city. Like, oh man, it's it's exciting to think in three to four years. It's also very depressing to think, hey, three more years from now, after we're all in our 20s or wherever we're at, we've waited two decades and now we might have to wait another half before all these teams start firing, but they're close. And for the last little segment, I just want to quickly talk on Dan, Dan Campbell. I know we talked about Stafford at the beginning and Dan Campbell at the end, but I love what he's doing right now. I love that he's signing a bunch of guys that he's worked with. He knows he's getting his guys kind of poaching them from the Saints, which is kind of cool because the Saints are obviously a good team. And obviously, how could you not love his first ever press conference? <laughs> Talking about biting guys' kneecaps off. Just, you can tell he wants it. He's not here to prove a point. He's here to win. And obviously, he's also here to assist in a rebuild because they gave him six years in his first ever coaching deal. But I liked that they went away from Salah. Everyone was saying, I want Salah, I want Salah, I want Salah. Players, coach, players, coach, players, coach. Da, 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 da. They did their work and they found Dan Campbell. And look, anyone can write speeches, anyone can 
give off the impression that they know what's going on and they know what to do and they whatever they can appear to be a coach but I haven't seen anything from Dan Campbell yet and I think anyone getting their hopes up over a press conference needs to slow down and I'm not saying that in an insulting way I'm saying that in a please for your mental health don't think anyone on the Lions next year is going to actually bite someone's kneecap off or that just because he gave a great speech that he's going to just explode on the scene and the Lions are 12-4 and next year. It's not how it's going to work. The Lions, like my Raiders, need help. A lot of it. There's many pieces both of those teams need to get to the next level. And while that may be a bummer, that's just the truth. And Dan Campbell is not going to turn... a Dan Campbell, a first-time coach, is not going to turn this pretty consistently below 500 or at 500 team into a consistently above 500 team immediately. There is work to be done, and by all means, go crazy. That was the best anyone could have done in a press conference. But that's all it was. It was not a statement of his coaching. It was not a statement of what he plans to do with the team. It was a statement of who he is as a person, which you can be a great guy and struggle. So there's no locked-in guarantee that Dan Campbell is it. He's not, like, he hasn't proven anything yet. And I think to, I don't know, just to get crazy over some words and as funny as they were, I mean, you could put a comedian in there and say, oh, well, he did a great job at his press conference. Doesn't mean anything if he doesn't know how to coach. So first-time coach, a lot of hope, a lot of excitement. He's going by the dude. But there have been previous coaches in this organization that also had their little quirks that were cute and funny at the beginning and then very quickly turned into a sign of almost fighting if one were to display, for example, a pencil when the Lions were in that conversation, if that's going on. So two years from now, Dan Campbell fails. They're going to be, oh, that's the dude that said he'd bite kneecaps off and call himself the dude. And it's like, you're taking a risk. He, Dan Campbell is biting off a lot to chew on right now. Just by saying those things, he's raising expectations from fans, from anybody. He went nationally, like, he was nationally relevant because of his press conference. National relevance for doing zero. Eyes are on him. People are watching Dan Campbell. And not only is that exciting, it also has to be terrifying. I don't know how well this new regime of Fords is going to listen to the fans when they say sell the team or fire Campbell, but Campbell is taking everything and just everything the fans are going to say and giving them a megaphone and an amplifier. He's making them louder. He's already getting fans riled up, getting fans talking, getting fans interacting on Twitter. If I've seen any sports team's fan base, it tends to be kind of a split, like a split hive mind. There's always there's always two sides to every story. And if there happens to be a divide, if the Lions suffer a couple early losses, those hateful remarks or... Anger, that anger is going to be 
loud and it is going to come in quickly. And that's what I'm scared of making waves like this. Obviously coming into the Lions, it's not just like they've had a couple down years. They've had a couple down decades. And so he obviously set out to change that. And I recognize that. I like that he's making an effort to change it. But he hasn't done anything but hire people yet. And I would assume he was had some sort of say in Stafford. But other than that, he hasn't done anything. So I'm super excited. I'm not trying to say he's going to be a bad coach because I haven't seen anything. I don't know enough. I don't think anyone knows enough to be able to say he's going to be a good coach or a bad coach. Some people can just coach and some people just can't. Hugh Jackson had like three, four seasons to get it right with the Browns and never connected. Just couldn't, like, just, it's just the way of the road. I mean, he coached the Raiders too and also never got it going. Some people just can't coach. But I'm excited to see when spring, or training camp and the preseason and everything rolls around. That's when all eyes should be on Dan Campbell. Now, watch his hires watch his moves but because that's all you can do i don't know the rules on organizing a team practice when you're out of the playoffs and it's technically the off season but i'm sure he's got them running through a brick wall somewhere i'm sure he has somebody doing it right now i don't know if they're all meeting for practice or if he's meeting with everyone individually or by groups and it's also very hard with that little pandemic thing going around um yeah it's 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 a unique situation to be in being hired this early while other teams are still playing well your former team was still playing obviously couldn't get hired until they were eliminated which the saints now were but that is my opening podcast for the detroit portion of grant slants thank you for enjoying i'll see you wednesday